Ten years ago, after the ending credits for Iron Man rolled, Nick Fury stepped out of the shadows to reveal the Avengers Initiative. And now, 19 films and billions of box office dollars later, this initiative culminates with one of the most ambitious cinematic spectacles ever conceived, Avengers Infinity War. That's my topic on Film Bits number 20. internet, hello comic book geeks, superhero freaks, welcome one and all to the Film Bits podcast episode number 20. As usual, I'm your host Matt, and today we're going to spend some time talking about the much-awaited Avengers Infinity War. There is a lot to talk about, a lot to process and digest within this movie, so let's get down to it. Now obviously this film comes to us courtesy of the directorial efforts of Anthony and Joe Russo, who also directed Captain America Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War, and did a wonderful job of those films. And screenplay credits go to Christopher Marcus, Stephen McFeely, and a host of other writing credits go to various comic book authors, hence the source material. And this film does star a huge ensemble cast of characters and actors. The IMDb synopsis is as follows. The Avengers and their allies must be willing to sacrifice all in an attempt to defeat the powerful Thanos before his blitz of devastation and ruin puts an end to the universe. That sounds pretty dire. And the first thing I want to address with this film is the sheer ambition of it. And I've talked about this before. No other film has attempted blending so many characters and stories together. Now for myself, many other cinephiles and comic book geeks, this was kind of worrisome. As excited as we were about this film, as much as we anticipated it, we kind of knew there might be some mechanical problems with this movie. How would the screen time be divided? Would it be too long or too bloated? And how can an effective plot utilize so many characters? So obviously these questions indicated a risk. There was a big risk with this movie, but as is sometimes the case, a big risk comes with a big payoff. And in this case, the payoff was absolutely big. The Russos pulled this off beautifully. It wasn't completely infallible. It was at times choppy and muddled bringing all the characters into their respective roles and tying storylines together got a little sticky at times, especially in the second act. But this is a minor and somewhat expected gripe given the scope of this project, and it does not at all detract from the overwhelming positive aspects of this film. Now the story of Thanos' quest to hunt down and eventually use the Infinity Stones as well as our group of heroes attempt to stop him is clear cut from the get go and it really propels the entire movie forward. Some of the characters are utilized in the plot noticeably more than others, yet it doesn't seem that anyone necessarily takes a back seat in this movie 
and the screen time is otherwise divided nicely. So that was one uh, that was one challenge that this film was going to face, and the Russo brothers handled it nicely. The cast is obviously outstanding. This, combined with solid character writing, makes for some wonderfully humorous interactions between characters we've grown to love from separate realms and movies, and also helps to incorporate the humor that keeps all MCU movies light and fun. This film features an incredible villain in Thanos, played by Josh Brolin. I'm going to talk about him extensively in the deep dive. He's a multi-layered bad guy with a clear, almost understandable motivation and has many meaningful moments on screen. He steals the show, in my opinion, and is one of the highlights of this entire movie. So when you combine all of these positive elements with colorful and visually enthralling action and effects, you have a recipe for one of the best films to ever emerge out of the comic book superhero genre. So again, whip out that movie pass. This is one you need to see on the big screen, especially if you've already previously invested yourself in the MCU and the now 19 films that it's comprised of. So that will wrap up my spoiler-free section of the review. I'm going to go into a lot of elements of this movie in the deep dive, which starts now. Now this film picks up quite literally where Thor Ragnarok left off, even right down to the end credit scene with Thanos Sanctuary 2 laying siege to the Asgardian refugee ship. Thanos and his Black Order eliminate half of the ship's passengers, which includes our first casualties of the movie, Loki and Heimdall. Now this is a bold move, right in the beginning of the film. True, Heimdall is a B-list character, but he's been a steady figure in the Thor franchise. Loki, however, is a much more spotlight character. That's a much harder hitting death. And personally, I find his death fitting. Because no matter how fascinating Loki is, played by Tom Hiddleston, no matter how much people enjoy seeing him on screen, he's really lost his place in this entire saga. He's wavered between friend and foe, he's helpful at times, he's cunning at times, so I felt this was a good point to end his story, especially given the backstory between him and Thanos, and the fact that he dies at Thanos' hand. Now both of these deaths serve a twofold purpose in my mind. Number one, it immediately lets us know the danger and the stakes of the story we're about to embark on, and two... They further add to the depth of Thor's tragic, as of late, tale and growth as a character. Now moving along, this story then transitions back to Earth. And, you know, I must say, this movie starts at a breakneck speed, which isn't a bad thing. We've already been introduced to all of these characters in previous installments. We know who they are and where they come from. We even already knew Thanos was coming. And there's a ton of ground to cover. So putting the pedal to the metal in the beginning of the first act works very well, in my opinion, and is a credit to this movie. So again, back to Earth. We now have Iron Man, Banner, Doctor Strange, Wong, and Spider-Man coming together. And they're fending off an attack from the Black Order. The Black Order is after Doctor Strange's Time Stone, 
which he obviously holds in the eye of Agamotto. Now, some of the things I gather from this section of the film. First of all, the interactions between Stark and Strange are pretty outstanding and what you would expect. Both of these characters are kind of carved out of the same mold. They're powerful and influential egomaniacs. So they kind of come to blows verbally, but it's fun to watch. And this is a way the movie consistently feeds humor into the story, not just between those two characters, but other characters throughout the film. It's also at this point in the movie that we get our first good look at two of the Black Order members. First, we have Ebony Maw, and he is somewhat of a wordy, herald-like character who has telekinetic powers. And we also get a look at Cull Obsidian, which is a huge, brutish character with a giant axe. The Black Order also consists of Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight. Proxima Midnight, that is such a cool name. And they are introduced a little bit later in the film. Now, the Black Order has somewhat of a superficial presence in this movie. They are purely CGI characters which automatically robs them of some depth. And they have very few lines in the movie. They're kind of more of visual muscle in this film. They're referred to throughout the movie as the children of Thanos. And they look awesome. And they're very cool elements of most of this movie's action scenes. Now it's also at this point in the film that I have a minor complaint surface. And it has to do with the events of Captain America's Civil War. Now if you think back to the end of that movie... After Tony and Steve had their huge fight, this rift had formed between them. They weren't communicating, but at the end of the movie, Steve Rogers sends a package to Tony Stark, or Tony Stank, if you ask the FedEx man, played wonderfully by Stan Lee. And he sends him this flip phone to contact him should he ever need his help in the future. Now, at this point in Infinity War, they actually show Tony Stark take this phone out and refer to the strife between him and Steve Rogers. But it is never mentioned again at any point during the film. This reference is never addressed or resolved at any point in Infinity War, and it feels incomplete to me. Now, obviously, this could be revisited in the second film because this is essentially a two-part story. But it's just one of the examples of how this film addresses the events of Civil War, but doesn't necessarily resolve them. And I'll talk about that again at another point in this film where it kind of has the same problem. But anyway, this sequence ends with Iron Man and Spider-Man stowing away on Maw's ship to save Doctor Strange. The next noteworthy sequence is the Guardians of the Galaxy stumbling upon Thor in the wreckage of the Asgardian refugee ship. Now this is another fantastic showcase of character play, especially between Thor and Star-Lord, played by Chris Pratt and Chris Hemsworth, respectively. They do a wonderful job of bringing more light comedy into an otherwise grim set of circumstances. And this is an important juncture in the film. Thor, Rocket, and Teen Groot head for Nidavellir to construct a new cosmic weapon, the Stormbreaker, to fight Thanos. Drax, Mantis, Star-Lord, and Gamora then break off and head to nowhere to swipe the Reality Stone before Thanos can grab it. Elsewhere, the final grouping of Avengers, 
Gather and eventually head to Wakanda to try and separate Vision from the Mind Stone in his head. And this brings together Banner, Black Widow, Falcon, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Black Panther, War Machine, and a very nomadish Steve Rogers. And it's at this point that the Civil War complaint that I have sort of resurfaces, um, this time from a different angle. Now, if you recall in Captain America Civil War, anyone practicing unmandated costumed heroics is labeled as a criminal. And we even have a scene depicting General Thunderbolt reiterating this fact to War Machine. However, it's shrugged off and never again referenced in the film. Now, I really feel this screenplay could have incorporated a way to show that the current threat from Thanos warranted nullification of the Sokovia Accords. To me, our heroes really needed to be vindicated from this early in the Thanos story, but they weren't. And again, it felt incomplete to me. It was an incomplete part of the story as it was never again referenced or resolved at any point in this film. And I really feel like another 30 to 60 seconds of screen time could have resolved this. And it could be referenced in the next film again, but at this point in Infinity War, it just felt incomplete to me and makes another minor gripe. It is now time to talk about, in my opinion, the star of this show, Thanos, the bad guy. Now, looking back, we've seen him in post credit scenes and small cameos dating back to 2012, but his grand plan is finally coming to fruition in Infinity War. He is played steadily by Josh Brolin and is an absolutely fascinating villain and a wonderful testament to MCU's course correction on the quote-unquote villain problem. In fact, as it stands right now, he's probably my favorite villain in the MCU. And here's why. His purpose and motivation is excessively clear in the story. Yes, he's a power-hungry, genocidal maniac. Yes, he will brutally murder anyone who stands in his way. But as Thanos reveals the reason behind his grand scheme, you begin to understand He needs the gauntlet and all the stones to wipe out half of all life in the universe, quite literally by snapping his finger. On his home planet of Titan and elsewhere in the galaxy, he has witnessed greedy, corrupt civilizations completely overrun entire planets and worlds and their natural resources. As a visionary, he has noted it as gross imbalance. And by decimating exactly half of all life, He purges the universe of this problem, thus bringing a quiet and satisfying balance back to the universe. He's even quoted in the script as helping starving children fill their bellies again and restoring natural beauty to otherwise ravaged planets. So if you take away his means, that actually sounds quite noble. So much so that I found myself sympathizing with him at various moments in the film and even secretly rooting for him. And that's how you know you have a a very well-written bad guy in a story, if you find yourself almost secretly rooting for them. He also has emotion and attachment in the movie, furthering how deeply layered his character is. His relationship with his abducted daughter Gamora is explored deeply in this film, 
and the result is the enrichment of both characters, but especially Thanos. And talking about this brings us to a very crucial moment in the story. Thanos is brought to tears as he sacrifices Gamora in order to obtain the soul stone from its keeper, the Red Skull. Now, if I would have had that sentence read to me as a spoiler before I saw the movie, I would not have believed it. This was a powerful moment in the film and did huge fan service to those of us wondering what happened to Skull after the Tesseract blasted him into the cosmos in the closing moments of Captain America the First Avenger. So this whole scene featured an outstanding set of surprises. Notably the death of Gamora. That's that's a death, that's a casualty that I didn't see coming in the discussions about who would die in this movie because we all knew characters would die. But Gamora is not one that I expected. So now phasing back to Thor's story arc he eventually gets his hands on Stormbreaker, which is his new weapon of choice since he lost Mjolnir in Thor Ragnarok. And a couple of cool notes on this part of the story. One, Peter Dinklage as the giant Eitri is ironically hilarious. I also did not see that coming. And the otherwise worthless character Team Groot finally gets something to do. He puts down his Game Boy and makes an awesome handle for Stormbreaker. Now as we shift to the final moments of this film, we find ourselves on Wakanda for a huge battle, a huge showdown. And if you notice, Wakanda, Black Panther, and all associated characters, they almost seem slightly underutilized in this film. I think Because by the time Black Panther was released and achieved such explosive success, Infinity War was already wrapping up on post-production. The movie was already virtually completed. And I really think, had, had they known how explosively successful Black Panther would be, I think this realm and its heroes may have been featured more. On the other hand... Guardians of the Galaxy, to me, had extensive screen time in this movie. And I think that's because at the time of filming, Guardians of the Galaxy were kind of the fan favorites in everyone's mind. So they wrote much more screen time in for those characters. But anyway, as this film concludes, Thanos snatches the last of the stones, kills Vision in the process. That's another huge character death and snaps his finger. So this leaves us with a very haunting and hopeless ending to this movie, which we all kind of figured was going to happen. We just weren't sure how we would arrive there. Numerous characters, including Black Panther, Winter Soldier, Falcon, Scarlet Witch, Star-Lord, Drax, Mantis, Groot, Spider-Man, and Doctor Strange all eerily vanish into dust. Cinematically, this ending worked so well. There was no score, there was no music happening during these moments in the film. It was very quiet, very dark, and very ominous. And even heartbreaking at times, especially watching Peter Parker cling to Stark as he faded away and dematerialized. Now we all knew this was the first in a two-part epic, 
Again, we knew it probably wouldn't end well. But the events that led us to Thanos snapping his finger and the manner in which it was conveyed was thrilling nonetheless. And it leaves us pondering the still untitled Avengers 4 film. How will this all play out? One would assume it involves the Time Stone. Did Doctor Strange put a spell on it before handing it over? After all, Doctor Strange had some inside information after looking at the millions of possible outcomes. Will Iron Man or one of the other surviving Avengers hunt it down from Thanos? How will Captain Marvel play into all of this? We have less than a year to wait and see. However it goes, we can count on the MCU being vastly different thereafter if we are to believe the words of Kevin Feige. Now to wrap up our discussion on Avengers Infinity War, I wanted to incorporate something new into the show and get my listening audience involved with the show, which is something I've always said I want to do and I believe I found a way to do it. So if you connect to the Film Bits Podcast Facebook page, and you want to get your thoughts in on a certain movie, make a brief paragraph-long review of the movie and send it to the Film Bits podcast inbox. And I'll make sure I get those read on the show. And I have some of those for Avengers Infinity War that I want to share now. The first one comes to us from Maricopa, Arizona. Angela Gastaldo's thoughts are as follows. Infinity War was a feast for the movie-loving person. It had its cheesy bits, action, serious parts, and deep personal conflicts. It kept me hooked the whole time just to shatter my heart at the end. The cutscene at the end of the credits gave me hope for a good outcome for all of the Marvel characters we've grown to love. Yes, I agree, Angela. I think most of those characters are coming back. At least the ones that faded into ash or dust or whatever that stuff was i do however believe that loki heimdall gamora and vision are dead dead but any of the characters who turn to ash at the end i feel like are probably coming back somehow in the next film now the next review i want to share is from josh price in tampa florida and josh says the ability to make a movie consisting of so many characters and moving parts and not have it come out as a muddled mess is pretty remarkable. And the fact that they had the guts to crush the hearts of little children by making them watch their heroes die in front of their eyes is pretty great too. Wow, Josh, that's dark. Now, it's not perfect. At times, it can feel slightly clunky and rushed because there is so much going on. But for what it is, it's an amazing feat in film that deserves to be watched. I agree exactly. As I mentioned in my opening comments, there are so many moving parts. And this was such a risk and was slightly worrisome at times to wonder how they were going to piece it all together. But the brothers Russo did a remarkable job. So Josh, I definitely agree with that. And our final Facebook review comes to us from Lakeland, Florida, from one Logan Crumpton. And let me try and wade through this. His review is filled with grammatical blunders, but that's okay. I still love you, Logan. He says, Infinity War, more like Infinity Bore. Just kidding. It's a fun, never-slowed-down, laugh-filled, most comic book comic book movie ever produced. 
I didn't fall asleep once during the whole film. It earned zero sleeps on my scale, which is the highest ranking of a cinematic release over 90 minutes. And if I could briefly interrupt his review and reference his sleep scale, if you've ever heard Logan guest appear on other movie-related podcasts, he's got this elaborate sleep system where the more sleeps a movie is given, the worse it is because he's obviously fallen asleep during the film. Anyway, just thought I would inform you of his sleep scale. Back to his review. The one criticism I personally have is the role or total lack therein many of the main characters have played thus far and how seemingly crucial other minor characters played in the final result. I would agree with that. Like I said, Black Panther was and and the associated characters were underutilized. And even if you think about it, Captain America or Nomad or whoever he's playing now also had very few lines in this movie, while other characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy were featured very heavily. Back to Logan's review. Hoping Part 2 puts a pretty whittle bow on has been a mostly enjoyable 10-year run. On what has been a mostly enjoyable 10-year run. Sorry, Logan, I'm proofreading your review as I'm reading it. P.S. Black Panther was a terrible movie. That's a nice pot shot, Logan. I don't know if you're saying that because I proclaimed Black Panther is now my favorite MCU film. And then we've got a P.P.S. So was Last Jedi. A terrible movie. Whatever, Logan. (laughs) I liked Last Jedi, even though half of all the other Star Wars fans on this planet did not like it. Um, But thank you for the reviews, guys. Keep sending those on marquee titles, and I'll keep reading them on the show. And I definitely appreciate listeners participating and listening to this podcast. That now concludes episode number 20 of the Film Bits podcast. I have been your host, Matt, and I again appreciate you guys listening. Keep your eyes peeled for more reviews coming down the pipe on some of these summer blockbuster titles that have yet to be released. And remember, you can access the show a number of different ways, such as SoundCloud, which is where I am hosted, as well as iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You guys have fun and be safe out there during the summer movie time season, and you will hear my voice again very soon. Thanks.